Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron, and I am one of your hosts. There's another host that is joining me today, Daniel Sun. Hey, what's up, guys? Now, real quick, before we start today's episode, I just want to say that I am still sick, so please excuse my stopped-up nose. I still got that uh, virus, it seems. I still got the black lung. <laughs> and it's never going away. It won't go away at all. Yeah, I've had it for damn near three weeks now. And it won't go away. So, yeah, just a forewarning. Also, uh, before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that if you would like to support the show, then there's a few ways that you could do that. One of the ways is Patreon. Each week, we release a Patreon-exclusive episode that only Patreon supporters can get access to. To sign up, it's only $5 a month, which is only $0.16 cents a day. Not only do you get an extra episode per week for that $5, but you also get access to our entire back catalog of past Patreon episodes. In total, we have over 142 extra Patreon episodes, which is a lot of extra hours for your listening pleasure. Now, to see this full list of past Patreon episodes, just go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, click on the Patreon Episodes tab, and there you will see the entire list of past Patreon-exclusive episodes that we have published. Also, today we added another Patreon-exclusive episode, which is over Strange News, where we cover strange, bizarre, and odd things that are currently happening all over the world that the mainstream media is not covering. So you get access to that episode, as well as all of the others, for just $5. Now, if you can't afford a Patreon membership, but you would like to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes or Spotify, and that helps us out a lot. However, don't feel pressure to leave us one. If you don't want to, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Tupacabras, ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are, to enjoy the show. And that is the end of the announcements. So today's episode is a Theories Thursday. Now, if you don't know what a Theories Thursday is, it's pretty much where me and Dan have each selected a current conspiracy topic we have independently researched it, and we have not told each other about it, and then we take turns today telling each other about our topics. And that's what a Theories Thursday is. So the hardest thing to figure out is who goes first on today's episode? Who talks about their topic first? So we're going to go to random.org list, and we are not sponsored by them. All right, Dan, give me a number between 1 and 10. 9. All right, a number between one and nine. Five. Nine minus five. Four. All right, we're going to randomize it four times. One, two, three, four. All right. So the first person to go is you, Dan. Yay. You're number one. You're up to bat first. So tell us, what is your topic this week for Theories Thursday? So my topic for this week, and since it's the start of a new year, our first Theory Thursday of the year, I figured I'd go back to a mysterious disappearance case. Okay. Have you heard of Paula Jean Weldon? No, I have not. So, she was a young woman who pretty much disappeared in Vermont when she was 18 years old, supposedly going for a hike. And what year was this? 1946. Okay. Now, I know we've done, uh, like, the Missing 401, the Charlie Project. She is listed in there as a possible missing, because she went missing in the mountains. But I don't think she's part of, like, the Missing 411. I think something else happened. All right. Well, let's hear it. So to start this case off, I'm going to go into a little bit of background of Paula, just so we know who she is and all that. So, she was born October 19th of 1928 in Stamford, Connecticut, to William Weldon and Jean Douglas. Her father, William, was a well-known industrial engineer, architect, and designer employed by the Revere Copper and Brass Company. He designed many household utensils, but what I believe he was well-known for was his Empire Cocktail Shaker. So, pretty much for the mixed drinks and stuff, 
those shakers, he designed like a specific type. Okay. But anyways, moving forward, I tried to look up stuff on her mother, Jean, but I couldn't find anything really. But back to Paula. She was the oldest out of four children. She was just a normal kid growing up, nothing too crazy. Everyone liked her and all that. And pretty much she was just trying to find her place in life. You know, the grand adventure that we all take. So after graduating from Stanford High School in 1945, she ended up going to Bennington College in Vermont, where she decided to major in art. So she liked oil paintings and stuff like that. She was an artist. While at Bennington College, she ended up getting a job at the dining hall there, you know, just to make some money on the side, probably for art supplies and stuff like that. Now, some people that knew her, they talked about how she was dissatisfied with her major in arts. She didn't know if that's what she really wanted to do. So she started to question that. And some of her friends that did talk to her about it said that she, for some reason, wanted to go into botany. So she wanted to be a, a botanist, you know, mess with flowers, arrangements and stuff like that. Okay. Growing the devil's lettuce. I like that. That's probably what it was. So she was questioning whether or not to switch her majors from art to botany. But before she could make any changes in her life like that, she ended up disappearing on December 1st of 1946. So on that day, December 1st, she had returned back to her dorm room after working two shifts in the morning at the dining hall. And then what she usually does when she gets off work from what her friend said is she usually goes back to her room and studies for a while. But this time it was different. Her roommate said that she studied for a little bit and then she just stopped, looked towards her roommate, was like, you know what? I'm going to take a break. I'm going to go for a hike. Roommate's like, that's random. (laughs) Yeah, like it's totally random, like something she doesn't usually do. So the roommate was like, "Okay, that's cool. You do you, boo, whatever. So Paula ends up grabbing a red coat and just walking out. Now, I believe she was wearing a dress and I guess like flats. You know what flats are, right? Yeah. And this red coat was very thin, not very good for cold weather, but that's the clothing she decided to take or wear to go on this hike. Not the very best uh, outfit to do it in, but whatever. Now, did she regularly go hiking? Was that like a regular thing for her? Doesn't seem like it. Okay. So after she left the dorm room, she ended up supposedly walking down the road. She didn't have a vehicle, nothing like that. She was going to go hiking, and she knew where she was going to go. So she went on the long trail, and it's located on Glastonbury Mountain in Vermont. So that's where she was going. But she didn't have a vehicle to get there. So she ended up hitchhiking on the highway to where around 2.45 p.m. that day, someone actually pulled over and gave her a ride. Now, they didn't drop her off exactly at the start of, like, the trail, the long trail. They dropped her off like three miles from the entrance. What a dick. Hey, he was nice enough to even give her a ride. So now she ended up telling the driver that she was going to hike the long trail near Glastonbury Mountain. Then as she got to the start of the trail, she started walking. Multiple hikers were interviewed and they said that they had reported seeing her walking the long trail. The final hiker, like the last hiker to talk to her, she ended up asking him, oh, by the way, how long is this trail? So she had no idea how long the trail was, where it goes, nothing like that. And I think the long trail is like 270 miles. Jesus Christ. Yeah, so she was going to go walk that. The last hiker also was just like, you know, you probably should turn back, though, because it's going to get dark soon. The sun sets at like five. Weather's going to like the temperature's going to drop. What you're wearing is not going to suffice. She was like, eh, whatever. She continued walking. And that right there would be the last that anyone had actually made contact with her. Was pretty much right before sunset. Okay. Now, like I said, after reading this case, just knowing that part right there and that she went missing, they automatically assume, boom, missing 411. National Park, hiking a trail. Yeah. So they kind of just put it off as that. But an investigation did start for this one. So since Paula decided to leave campus, The Bennington College has a rule. If you're going to leave campus and say that you're going to come back later than 11 p.m., you have to sign yourself out. Then when you come back, you have to go to security and sign yourself back in so they know that you made it back. 
Makes sense. Well, she didn't sign herself out. She didn't sign herself back in. So there's no record of her leaving campus that day. The next day, Monday, since December 1st was a Sunday. So Monday, her roommate never saw her come back. Didn't see her that morning. So she kind of got odd feelings like, eh, maybe I'll let, you know, the president of the college or something know that she said she went hiking and never came back. They got word of it. They're just like, ah, we'll just wait a little bit, see what happens. She didn't show up to any of her classes. So they're like, all right. So she didn't come back. Well, that's weird. But you know what? She doesn't live too far from her, like, family. So the president of the college decides, you know, I'm going to call her family to see if she decided to just randomly go back home for the day or something and just forgot to let anybody know. So they end up calling her parents and find out that she was not there either. They haven't heard from her. Now, William, her dad, just like went right into, I got to find her. Yeah. He got dressed and he drove to Bennington College to where he organized a search party because at the time, Vermont did not have the state police or anything like that. So he had to organize most of the searches. He ended up contacting, I believe it was New York State Police, and he reached out to the Connecticut State Police to try to have them help perform like search parties and such. Now, they searched for hours, couldn't find anything down the long trail. But yeah, they searched there. They couldn't find anything. No signs of Paula. Nothing in her room to make her like make it seem like she wanted to disappear. So it was just like out of the blue. No one knows why. Well, after a couple hours of searching, it wasn't till they got a report from Fall River, Massachusetts, which is about three to four hours away from, say, Bennington or Stanford. It was in Fall River where at a local diner, a waitress said that she had served a what she calls disturbed young woman that actually fit Paula's description perfectly. Wait, hold on. So a waitress in Fall River, Massachusetts, which is right along the coastline near Rhode Island, is saying she saw this Paula who had gone missing. She saw her in her diner. Correct. Oh. And said that she looked disturbed, which only thing we could really get from that is that she was either agitated or fearful or something like that. Just she didn't look normal something was wrong was she with anybody not that the waitress said okay so william paula's dad got wind of that he ends up taking off i guess heading towards fall river but he went missing for 36 hours what so for 36 hours no one knew where william went where he was going what he was doing nothing 36 hours, no contact with nobody. And it's not like it was a 36-hour drive. It was a four-hour drive down to Massachusetts where she was supposedly reported at. Exactly. So what was he doing in that 36 hours? He could have drove all the way to Texas. Took me 36 hours to drive from Seabrook, New Hampshire, which is the coastline of New Hampshire, all the way to Texas. Yeah. So people were just like, that's a little weird, William. Where the, where the hell did you go? What were you doing? What did he say? All he told him was that he was just following up on the report of uh, the waitress seeing Paula. So for 36 hours, three to four hour drive for 36 hours, not a single word, no, nothing on him. But then he just comes back and continues on with the search party. Like he never left. So that was very suspicious. So people were just like, something's wrong right there. But you know what? Whatever, we're going to keep looking to see if we can find Paula. Now, so as the search was still going on in the long trail, the weather started to get worse, which I forgot to mention. After the sun set on December 1st, it started to snow. There was like three to four inches. Shit. Yeah, so remember what I said what she was wearing. Dress, flats, and a thin red coat, pretty much. She's going to freeze out there. But yeah, so the weather actually kept getting worse, so bad that the search parties were actually disbanded for their safety. Pretty much the case went cold from there. From six to eight years later, a guy that actually lives near the Long Trail, they interviewed him like multiple times. And he, for some reason, kept saying, yeah, I know where the body is. I know where they buried that young girl Paula at. But every time he told the story, his story would change. Little by little, it would change something. So the police were kind of just like iffy about it, like, does he really know anything? And then one day he was just like, 
Oh, yeah, I know where they buried the body, because I'm the one that killed her. Oh, Jesus. So, they arrest him in 1955 because he said he knew where she was and that he did kill her. Now, after some intense questioning, they probably beat his ass. (laughs) Yeah, they did. (laughs) They beat his ass only to find out that he was lying. He just wanted attention. He had no idea where the body was. He He didn't kill her. He did not confess to actually doing anything. So, all they could do was just let him go. And you know what he did after that? Killed himself. No, he went to the bar drinking and there he was again boasting. Yeah, I killed her. I buried her body here buried her, or there, whatever. Oh, Jesus. But they never arrested him again because they'd, they had no proof on it. But then in 1968, 13 years after that, they actually found some skeletal remains. So now they're thinking, oh, shit, we might have found Paula. And it was on the long trail that they found these skeletal remains. But they tested it. Skeletal remains are too old to be Paulus. Oh. So they found some other dead body. Huh? But not Paulus. The case is still cold. Still hasn't solved. Haven't found her remains yet. Don't know where she went. What happened to her. So the case is still open. Now, that is the story of Paula Jean Weldon. Now, I got some strange facts, especially about William. It's not too strange, but... And, and William's the dad, right? Correct. Okay. So the first strange fact, as I was looking into this topic, the one thing that I noticed were people questioning his innocence because your daughter's missing. You get wind of something. The next thing you know, you're gone for 36 hours and you don't really explain anything to anybody while you were gone. So people started to think that he was kind of being suspicious, especially after like, oh, there's a report that your daughter has been seen down in this area. So he takes off, disappears, nothing. People, is part of the theory for this later on, but they start to think that he had something to do with her disappearance, which they actually never took him in, never really questioned him or anything. Oh. Hmm. But you find out the investigation on this whole disappearance is screwed up from the very get-go. Like the first 10 days of like searching for and all that stuff, nothing was ever written down or actually recorded. Oh, my God. Yeah, they just didn't care. Then again, Vermont didn't have any, like, actual big police, so New York and Connecticut, they're not going to do it because it's not in their state. Yeah, that's true. So there's that, you know, being gone for 36 hours. But then it come to find out that William seemed to be pretty outspoken about Paula's life. Now, I say that because Thanksgiving that year, so a couple days after she went missing Thanksgiving, she was supposed to go home for you know, Thanksgiving. But she ended up telling her roommate that she decided not to go home. The roommate was stating that, like, you know, she didn't look like she would be happy to go home. Supposedly, William and Paula ended up having, like, an argument. And a lot of the arguments seemed to be about her relationship with men. He did not approve of, I guess, her current boyfriend at the time. Which, no idea who he is. The police didn't even question anybody involved with her. But yeah. He didn't like her current boyfriend, and he was very outspoken about that. And we can only assume that that's why she didn't go back home for Thanksgiving. So there's that. Then, of course, William, Paula's dad, was, you know, you're questioning all these people. Why haven't you questioned her boyfriend? I guarantee you her boyfriend has something to do with her disappearance. Y'all are just for some reason ignoring him. And that's what he was saying to, I guess, the investigators? Investigators, anybody that would listen to him, which... They asked him, like, where are you getting this information? Why do you think that he had something to do with it? Guess what he said? What did he say? He said it was the claim of a clairvoyant from Vermont that told him so. Wait, say that again? It was a claim of a clairvoyant from Vermont that told him so. So pretty much like a psychic told him. Yeah. (laughs) Your daughter's boyfriend or something had something to do with her disappearance. That's it. So that's all he had to go with. So that's what he said. It's the boyfriend. It makes me wonder, like, is that where he was gone for 36 hours? Did he go see a clairvoyant or something? Like, <laughs> That's what it sounds like. So, yeah. They didn't really care for what he had to say anymore. With that assumption and then him miss- going f- missing for 36 hours. Then, to make it even, like, worse for him, he started to criticize the investigation. He, like, went into, like, the was New York police, the Connecticut police, saying that their investigation, they just didn't seem serious about it. They just 
they were lazy. And then the fact that Vermont did not have a police, like, you know, state police of their own. He's like, what the f are y'all doing pretty much? Well, that right there actually gained media attention. They're just like, oh shit, this guy's going in on these, you know, state's police departments, but Vermont doesn't have anything of their own. Why don't they? So that actually became a big like media frenzy, which this incident right here with William Weldon and his daughter going missing is what actually made Vermont start their state police department. So now they have state police. So it was all just a made up thing for the state to get a police department. They used it. Yeah. Hmm. The media was helping them out with that. It definitely worked. <laughs> if that was the theory or if that's what really happened. Yeah. So I figured that was kind of interesting. Now, the next strange fact that I found is, you know, we talk about the Bermuda Triangle and then like, I think we talked about some other triangles. Yep. Vermont has its own triangle, which I never heard of. The Bennington Triangle. Okay. So a year ago, I was in New Hampshire and I was talking to a bank teller as I was depositing some money and she told me about this. Yep, it's in Vermont. It's pretty much where the long trail is. There's a triangle area to where supposedly a lot of paranormal things happen. A lot of sightings of like Bigfoots or pretty much weird things in there. So I found that out, which I didn't know about, which five people had disappeared from 1945 to 1950 in that Bennington Triangle. So one a year. Sounds like there's a killer on the loose. Or a hungry Bigfoot. Yeah. Well, not too hungry if it's one a year. But yeah, that right there is like all the weird things I could find about it, which kind of leads me into the theories section of this all. All right. Well, let's hear your theories. So the first theory is from the last strange fact and finding the Bennington Triangle. So the theory goes that she decided to go hiking, end up getting lost in the Bennington Triangle like the others that have gone missing there, which makes her actually part of the missing 411. Reports of Bigfoots, all of, all of the other weird things that have been spotted in this area. So many people believe that she went there, ended up getting lost, and pretty much just gone forever. So pretty much just an accidental hiking, getting lost type thing. Okay. I don't believe that. All right. Well, what do you believe? Well, hold on. Before we get into that, let's just go over the rest of the theories. So the next theory is that some speculated that Paula might have been severely depressed. She had her father on her ass about her dating any boys or men or whatever the hell she was into. And then her wanting to change her major within like the first year of starting college and stuff. So maybe she had a fallout with her dad about the boys, about the, her art or pretty much her college major. Ended up becoming depressed. Didn't go home for Thanksgiving because of it. So she ended up like, you know what? I just need to get out, go clear my head. Ends up going on this hike and then depending on how severe her depression was, maybe took her own life. Wandered off into the woods and just died. Yeah. Okay. Now, the next one, I called it emotionally hurt. This theory is that her boyfriend, if she did have one at the time, considering after all the shit that I read, I have not heard anything about the boyfriend other than what her dad said. But if she did have a boyfriend at the time, he did have a part in her disappearance, but not like hurting her or like kidnapping her physically or anything like that. Probably just causing her emotional distress. You know, her telling her boyfriend, like, oh, my dad don't want you around. We're not going to there Thanksgiving because you're not welcome. Maybe ends up pretty much getting all emotionally distressed, ends up wanting to go for a walk, just like the depression one, just goes out in the woods. And honestly, it sounds like 270 miles for a trail. Her never going hiking like that. She probably just didn't know what the hell she was getting into. My thing is, though, I keep going back to the freaking waitress way, way far away, like four hours away, seeing her. And this waitress is in Massachusetts, and it's right on the shoreline. It's like, what was she doing all the way down there? So that leads to the theory that her and her boyfriend probably ran away. Ooh, that's what I'm going with. Like I said, like this all goes back to like her dad, him not approving of certain things in her life. So probably relationship wise. They just said, fuck it. So her alibi was, I'm going to go to this trail, walk for a little bit. Heard that it's the Bennington Triangle. People go missing there. What I'll do is I'll walk there, see a couple people, witnesses, then go back. 
hop into a vehicle with their boyfriend and just take off. Let's stop and get something to eat. I'm a little bit upset because I'm going to miss my family. And that's why she looked upset at the diner. But they just continued on going right down the coastline. They're probably like living in Florida somewhere. Yeah, living in Florida or Texas or something. Living right next door. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, there's that theory that that's why she didn't dress for hiking because she wasn't going to be out there that long. She had a night dress on, flats, and then a red coat. So she was pretty much just ready to leave. So there's that theory. The final theory that I've written down is that her father may have had something to do with her disappearance. 36 hours missing after he heard that a report of a waitress saying that she might have seen Paula. What if this was him freaking out, like, say that he had Paula captive. And then when he found out that there was a report of her being seen, he freaked out. And for the 36 hours, he went back to wherever he might have her captive and was just chilling there, just like, you know, waiting for, I guess, the report to be investigated more. Then afterwards, he just came back and started the whole search again. Pretend like nothing happened. What if she ran away and he heard about the report of her being on the coastline? He went and found her, took her, offed her and her boyfriend in a rage, buried them, and then came back and quote-unquote searched for them. That'd be fucked up. That, that would be, but it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't want to say it is him, but I mean, just some of the shit that he did was kind of suspicious. And then the fact that he was always trying to blame somebody else without any evidence to really back it up. So out of all this, the father looks the guilty, like most guilty, but the most logical one is I do believe she probably ran off. Like she got into a disagreement with her family, wanting to change her art, uh, college major, fell in love with the boy. Family didn't approve of it. So she either offed herself or she ran away. Yeah, we can say that. One of, one of two things. That's what happened. Or she let nature offer. All right. The disappearance of Paula. So you think she just ran away with the, somebody down the coast? Yeah, she either ran away or she offed herself in the woods. See, I wanted to believe, like, something happened in the, like, woods there. But I just don't feel like there's enough there to really say so. Other than the, oh, Bennington Triangle. Lots of paranormal stuff happened there. Didn't really see too much on there. They said they seen like Bigfoots and just random other monsters or shit. That's it. All right. But no, I mean, it was an interesting case. I just, a lot of theories on it, but not a lot of evidence to back it up. I like that. Well, thank you, Dan. Thank you for your topic this week. You're welcome. It wasn't anything funny. Nothing funny sounding like your topic. Mine might be funny sounding, but it is serious business. Ooh. Before we get into that, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back. So are you prepared to go into my topic? I am prepared, I think. All right, so the title of my topic this week for Theories Thursday is called Pink Poop. When I first saw that, you know what first thing that came to my mind was? That uh, video of people saying, oh, this is how McDonald's makes their nuggets. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I got a funny story about that, but I'll save that for later. All right. All right. So to start off my topic this week, we need to talk about cereal. So back in 1964, General Mills, which is a company that makes cereal, they wanted to get children to eat cereal. So they decided to roll out a new cereal called Lucky Charms, which I'm sure everybody has had Lucky Charms in their life. I know I have. Dan, you've had Lucky Charms, right? I have. So when they rolled out this Lucky Charms, they decided to target children. And how they did that is they ended up rolling out the most expensive advertising campaign to date, which featured full-color ads in Sunday comics and in comic books, as well as animated ads, which featured a leprechaun promoting their Lucky Charms cereal. So I have a image of this leprechaun promoting this Lucky Charms. And as you can see, he's evolved uh, 
quite a bit. But over the course of their advertising campaign, a lot of children were exposed to Lucky Charms. It was extremely successful, and children all over the country started begging their parents for Lucky Charms cereal. They're like, we want to have that for breakfast. So fast forward a few years later, General Mills decided to piggyback off the success of Lucky Charms, and they wanted to introduce a new line of cereals aimed at children that had monsters on them. So instead of Lucky Charms and Leprechauns this time, they were going to go with monsters. So they released two new cereals. The first cereal was Count Chocula, which was a chocolate-flavored cereal that had a vampire as its mascot. One of my favorites right there. Ugh, I hate it. I don't really like cereal. Anyways, the second cereal they released was Frankenberry. Now, this was a pink cereal that was strawberry-flavored and had a pink Frankenstein monster as its mascot. Now, I have another picture uh, that I'm going to attach here, which you can go to Theories of the Third Kind if you want to take a look at it, and it just shows the Frankenberry cereal and the Count Chocula cereal. So you kind of get an idea of what they look like. All right. Now that you have an understanding of those cereals, let's get into the main story. Okay. So to start this off, we have to go back to the year 1971. During this time, the Walt Disney theme park had just opened up in Florida. Pakistan and India had just gone to war. And those new monster cereals, the Count Chocula and Frankenberry, they had just been released across the United States. Parents all around America were buying these cereals for their children to eat, and the kids were loving them. They're like, oh, yeah, no more Lucky Charms. We got some Frankenberry, bitch. They were loving it. However, that didn't last long. So only a few days after the cereal was released, kids all across the country started being rushed to hospitals. All of them had one symptom in common. They all had pink poop. They were all shitting pink. So eating any of these cereals? Mm, well, we'll get to that. They were eating these cereals, okay? Okay. And they were shitting pink. Now, it, it sounds funny when we talk about it, but back then... I mean, parents and even the doctors were pretty worried. It, it's an unusual symptom. And a lot of the doctors were thinking, oh, my God, these children have internal bleeding. You know, if they're pooping out pink, they got internal bleeding. However, after they ran multiple tests on the children, the internal bleeding was ruled out. And the doctors were pretty much baffled at what was causing all of these children to shit pink like they couldn't figure out why this was happening and it turned into a pandemic children all across the united states it was happening to them and parents were like what the hell is going on now was it causing like any pain or anything or just poop was just pink some of them were having pain with it and then they were having diarrhea and then poop pink oh wow but all of them had the same symptom of their poop being pink, okay? So finally, the Journal of Pediatrics began a study on this strange phenomenon. Before we get into that, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. It's our last one, so don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back. So finally, the Journal of Pediatrics began a study on this strange phenomenon. They took a 12-year-old boy who had been admitted to the hospital, who was pooping pink, of course, and they started studying him. Of course, during this study, they had inconclusive results, and they couldn't figure out the cause. Finally, the doctors decided, hey, let's clear the digestive tract of the boy and feed him four bowls of popular children's cereal at the time. So it was Lucky Charms, you know, the Count Chocula, Frankenberry, and the Booberry, which we haven't talked about yet, but we will. So they fed him those cereals after they cleared his digestive tract. The child's poop turned out to be pink after he ate the cereal. 
the study, the doctors in the study were like, oh, we found the cause. Now we have to narrow it down. And they were able to narrow it down to the cereal, the Frankenberry cereal that was causing the issue, this strawberry flavored one. It's very pink. Yeah. So after some additional research, it was discovered that General Mills, who was the manufacturer of the cereal, had been using red dye number two, which was the name given to a synthetic food dye, and they were putting it in the cereal to turn the cereal pink in color. And in fact, it was the most commonly used food dye at the time. Now, upon learning this, General Mills quickly switched out the red dye number two for red dye number 40 in their cereal. And this was in an effort to kind of like avoid public scandal because the parents at the time were like, red dye number two, that's it, you know? What does it do to the children, you know, besides turning their pink poop? What's the long-term effects? And General Mills is like, well, we're not using that anymore. We're using red dye number 40. Of course, like I said, parents were worried, causing an uproar. The FDA came out and said, hey, consuming this red dye number two, it's not a big deal, causes no long-term effects. All it does is it causes your stool to change color. That's it. However, right after they announced that, a study that was done by some Russians was released, and it had examined the long-term effects of red dye number two. In this study, the scientists tested this dye on rats, and the rats went on to develop tumors. After this study was released, the parents started being like, holy shit, look at this study. The FDA said it's safe, but the scientists said it causes tumors. The FDA came back out and made another announcement, and they dismissed that study done by the Russians as being flawed. They said, no, 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 no. They don't know what they're talking about. The study makes no sense. They, they did it wrong. But shortly after that, that announcement, the FDA quietly removed red dye number two from the lists of dyes safe for consumption. And then a couple years later, in 1976, red dye number two was banned in the United States after it was linked to cancer in rats. Now, before it was linked to cancer, I mean, for decades prior, you could find this stuff in everything. From ice cream to even hot dog casings, this dye was used in everything, and all the Americans were consuming it. But the FDA didn't care until the public came out and said, well, you know. What they don't know don't hurt them. Exactly. And that right there is my pink poop topic. But the story doesn't end there, because I have some strange facts and findings. So the first strange fact and finding I'm going to talk about is booberry. Now, I know I mentioned this earlier. So General Mills released the Booberry cereal in December of 1972, which was, you know, a cereal that was uh, the color blue. It had a blue uh, ghost on the front of it, and all the kids loved it. Now, the food dye that was used in that Booberry was blue dye number one, and it had the same effect as the red dye number two. Whoever ate it, it changed the color of the person's poop. So if you ate the booberry, your, your poop wouldn't turn blue. It would turn green. But nobody gave a shit that their poop was green. They didn't care. It was only when it was red that people cared. So that's still out there for you to consume. But uh, blue dye number one is currently banned in uh, France, Norway, and Finland. So you can't consume it there. So our next strange fact and finding is about M&Ms, like the M&Ms you eat. <laughs> so I found this so funny. So during the entire 1971 debacle of this red dye number two, there was so much public hate towards the color red that Mars Candy Company, the company that makes M&Ms, 
they stopped producing red M&M candies because <laughs> they were afraid that people would think that the candies had red dye number two in them. When, of course, they didn't even have red dye number two in them. They just wanted to play it safe. And for 10 years, they didn't make red M&Ms because of that. So they were playing it safe. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. So the next strange fact and finding I have is about Canada and the UK. Now, red dye number two, of course, is banned in the United States. You can't find it in anything. However, if you go up to Canada or you fly over to the UK, you can still find it in cereals and plenty of snacks because it's not banned over there. It's totally legal. So I'm sorry to the Canadian brothers and sisters and the people in the UK. Don't eat anything with red dye number two in it. Now, is it just like all dyes number two or is it just red? Like you said, like blue dye number two. Do they have blue dye number two? They have a blue dye number one, red dye number 40. There's a lot of different types. I'm trying to remember way back when I was in high school, one of my brother's girlfriend's younger brother, he ate a bunch of candy and it turned his poop like a bright blue. That's that blue dye number one. It's still legal over here, but because the public didn't come up in an uproar about it being in their cereal, the FDA didn't ban it and there was no studies done on it. Screwed up, man. I mean, it's kind of weird, but I guess a parent would freak out if it was red. Yeah. Like red, because if you see red in your stools, either you're bleeding internally or you probably got a hemorrhoid, something. <laughs> but if you were. Bleeding internally, it would come out a dark red because it still has to travel through your intestines and all that to come out. By that time, it comes out a darker red. Yeah. Seeing like a bright pink, I wouldn't have freaked out or anything, but I would want to know like, why is, why is my child having pink poop? Yeah, which is why a lot of people were pissed off, you know, and it's understandable, you know. See, that's why you go with Count Chocula. brown dye number shit okay you don't even eat cereal to begin with that's disgusting it's a bunch of sugar and wheat and cereal was made to stop masturbation look it up it's a fact you know what it fails (laughs) go listen to our (laughs) kellogg's episode see i actually like the special k the vanilla and was it a almond that's honestly pretty good i like granola granola with yogurt Dude, granola with yogurt is definitely good. Oh, that actually sounds really good. Yeah. Anyways, all right. So the last strange fact and finding that I'm going to go over today regarding my topic is something that happened here recently. So in April of 2022, the FDA ended up opening an investigation into whether Lucky Charms was making people sick. So there's a website anyone can go to. It's called IWasPoisoned.com. And you can put in a complaint if you think a food poisoned you. And it kind of like documents it. Well, in 2021, there was an uptick of people reporting that Lucky Charms had made them sick with nausea, vomiting, liquid diarrhea, like a bunch of bad stuff. There were so many complaints, there was like over 3,000 in a short period of time, that the FDA opened up an investigation into it. But there's, nothing's been done about it. So, just a little FYI. If you or a loved one have been poisoned by Lucky Charms, you can go to iwaspoisoned.com and document it. I'm looking at it right now. Like, that's the first thing that comes up when I go to the site was, on the side, it was like, Lucky Charms poisoning people. Yeah. Damn. So that right there is my Theories Thursday topic. A little short, but knowledgeable. So if you or a loved one have been poisoned by General Mills's Lucky Charms, I would like you to send me an email and let me know. I'd love to hear from you. And if you have a box of Frankenberry with red dye number two, I want you to just bag me up a little bit and send it to me. I'm going to feed it to Aaron. I'm going to see if his Poop comes out pink. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to eat it. You think you're not going to. Anyway, have, have you ever seen that Frankenberry or Booberry before? Honestly, I've never seen the Frankenberry. I've always seen the Count Chocula or the Booberry. 
I've only seen Count Chocula. I've never seen the other two. I always liked the Booberry because it was blue, but I never got it. I always got Count Chocula. Yeah. All right. Well, you got anything you want to add to today's theories Thursday before we go to our on the scene this week? Anything about any disappearances or cereal or food poisoning or anything like that? I mean, shit, I wish I knew about I was poisoned when I got poisoned on the drive down. <laughs> Man, I've been poisoned by Whataburger. I've been poisoned by a gas station burrito, which that's kind of on me. You know, if you go to a gas station and you get a breakfast burrito at midnight, you're kind of asking for it. You know what I mean? Or wanting to get sushi at a gas station. Yeah. I don't care how fancy the gas station is. I mean, Bucky's, granted, I still wouldn't buy sushi from there. Yeah. That's something. Yeah. Brisket burger something like that sure have you ever got food poison besides the most recent one yeah i think it was uh back when uh, we were doing an episode i was actually food poisoned i was actually able to record an episode but i think i was throwing up and i honestly had no appetite for like three four days it's horrible i hate getting it it is all right well if you or a loved one have been food poisoned and you would like to let us know. Send us an email, Aaron at theories of the third kind.com or Dan at theories of the third kind.com. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, we would like to hear from you. So definitely send us an email. All right. So that's the end of the episode this week. Now we're going to move forward into our on the scene this week. Now, if you don't know what our on the scene is, it is where an individual from anywhere in the world submits an audio recording of themselves either interviewing someone or giving their opinion about a current conspiracy topic. And anyone can do this, including you. Yes, you listening to it right now. Just get your phone, press record on your phone, make sure there's no background noise, there's no music, and make sure the audio is less than two minutes long, and then send that audio to our email, and we will put it in line to play at the end of the show each week. All right, so for this week's On the Scene, we have Alex, and we're going to play that right now. Hey, Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Alex, and we are on the scene with the rooster. Okay, rooster, tell me what you think about the men in black. Do they exist? I do think some version of the men in black exist. Um, we don't know what the government's all doing, what they're hiding, what they're capable of. I don't know if they wear black suits and black glasses, but I do think there's a secret organization that monitors things and makes people and issues disappear. I completely agree. All right, next question. What other supernatural creatures do you believe in? Well, I totally believe in aliens. There's no way that you can tell me that people of the age were able to build things like the pyramids and some of the ex um, incredible structures way back when. Um, that has to be alien-assisted. Of course, and especially with all the sightings, they can't be for nothing. Agreed. All right, third and last question. How would you feel if the term conspiracy theorist changed to truthers? I think that's just going to happen. I know. I think so, too. I think so, too. All right. Well, that ends our on the scene. And I just wanted to say that I love the podcast. I was super excited when you both moved to Austin. Kind of made me want to track you all down. But then I realized that would be kind of stalkerish. So I decided not to. Anyways, I love you and I'm proud of you. I love you and I'm proud of you. All right, sweet. Thank you so much for that on the scene. Alex and Rooster. Alex and Rooster. I gotta admit, that was some clean audio. That was very clean audio and good voices, might I add. Oh yeah, they're very good at projecting. Oh yes. Unlike me. You can ask Aaron this. <laughs> Uh, so let's start off with the questions she asked about, is there men uh, in black? Yeah. The men in black, somebody monitoring people to make them disappear is what rooster stated. I agree. We have the 
NSA who's constantly monitoring everything. I think if you hit certain terms, like you say certain keywords, it puts you on a list and then you get extra looked at. You get screened more often. Like your Amazon Echo automatically turns on and records everything. You know, your phone constantly records everything. And then they have somebody that goes and monitors all of your conversations to keep track of what you know and what you don't know. Like us, for an example, I know for a fact, all of our conversations are being recorded. So, yeah. 100%. Honestly, we, we have no privacy in this world anymore. We're always being looked at by Big Brother, a.k.a. government. So to that, I say to Big Brother, Dan has ancient alien technology under his bed, and it vibrates. <laughs> Aaron ordered it from Dragon <laughs> Um, Let's see. The other thing they talked about was, do we believe in aliens, and have they been here before? And they mentioned how the pyramids and other monuments, how they have been built, and using that as proof of some type of intellectual species that have been here previously. And I, I agree 100%. Either aliens or an ancient civilization that died out because of something. Yeah. And then she talks about the term conspiracy theorist. You already know. How long have I been telling you? We don't use the term conspiracy theory. We've been trying to come up with a different one. Truthers is a good one. Um, I think we're still on the hunt, though, for the... The right terminology for us. Yeah, because when someone says conspiracy theory, no matter what, a lot of people automatically discredit that person. Oh, I could tell you the exact response and movement they do when they hear someone say, oh, yeah, I'm a conspiracy theorist. They go, oh. Yeah, and they back away. And they back away just like staring. It's like, oh. And they automatically connect you with like Alex Jones and all that crap. So, yeah. But anyways, thank you again for the on the scene. And in your email, Alex, you stated that you're in North Austin. Well, guess what? We're in North Austin as well. I, I bet we've passed each other multiple times and you did not even know it. All you have to do is look at my license plate. <laughs> yeah, you just got to look at Dan's <laughs> license plate and you'll know. Anyways, thank you again for the on the scene. And we love you and we're proud of you. Yes, much love. All right, so let's get on to birthday shout outs this week. So for the first birthday shout out, that we got this week. It goes to Danny. Their birthday was on January 17th. Happy birthday, Danny. Happy birthday, Danny. Our next birthday shout out goes to Nicole. Her birthday was January 10th. So happy birthday, Nicole. Happy birthday. So the next birthday shout out is to Jasmine Treo. Trezeo. Trejo. Sure, I pronounced your name wrong. I apologize. But your birthday was on January 21st. Happy birthday. I love you and I'm proud of you. Happy birthday. So our next birthday shout out goes to Chris Hossfeld. His birthday or was on January 10th. So happy birthday, Chris. And he requested me tell a Bigfoot joke. Oh, let's hear it, Dan. I'm going to go generic. It's not going to be that funny. What is Bigfoot's favorite Japanese food? Big noodles. No. I give up. Sushi, like sushi. God. That was terrible. Happy birthday, Chris. Hope your birthday's better than that joke. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> All right. So the next birthday shout out goes to Steph E. Her birthday is on January 25th. Happy birthday, Steph E. Love you and I'm proud of you. Happy birthday, Steph E. All right, so our next birthday shout-out goes to Andrew, a.k.a. A.G. Is that A.G. or I.A.G.? A.G. A.G. His birthday was on January 10th. Dude, there's a lot of January 10th birthdays. So happy birthday to him, and he requested a birthday shout-out in beatbox singing happy birthday. All right, you get the beatbox, I'll get the singing. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Andrew. Happy birthday to you. Boom. Love you. Proud of you. Love you. Happy birthday. All right. The next birthday shout out goes to Sarah, a.k.a. Mariah. Her birthday is on January 24th. And she requested that we sing her happy birthday 
and say that we're proud of her. Happy birthday, Sarah, a.k.a. Mariah. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Sarah, a.k.a. Mariah. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. We're proud of you. And we love you. Boom. Boom, skis. Our next birthday shout-out goes to Dace. Their birthday was on January 11th. So happy birthday to Dace. The request for this birthday shout-out is that we remind you, Dace, that just because you're 24 now doesn't mean people like you again. And that's supposed to be an inside joke from Blink-182's What's My Age Again. That's a little messed up. You know what, Dace? Even though you're 24, I like you, and I'm proud of you, and happy birthday, bitch. That's right. Happy birthday, Dace. We love you. We're proud of you. Nice. Bitch. <laughs> All right. So that's the end of the birthday shoutouts. And uh, I just want to give a reminder to everyone, if you want a birthday shout-out, send an email to support, S-U-P-P-O-R-T, at theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and in the subject line, put birthday shout-out. Please do not send me a birthday shout-out uh, request on Instagram, on our personal Instagrams, on Facebook, on our personal emails, anything like that. Because it's very hard to keep track of them. And if you send it to support at theoriesofthethirdkind.com, you will be guaranteed a birthday shout out. Okay? I just want to remind everybody that we're trying to we're trying to keep things in order. Okay? Boom. There it is. Yep. All right, Dan. Well, do you have anything else you want to talk about or say or announce before we end today's episode? Hmm. So we have most of the equipment set up in the studio. Only thing we're working on now is actually Lighting. Lighting and decorations. Yeah. Well, decorations is not that big of a deal. Lighting's the big deal, which we already got the supports that we needed to drill into the top of the panels for the lighting. And then after we have that up, it's pretty much decorations, which will take less than an hour, and then we're done. We're good to go for video. So it's, I, I know we've been saying this for a while, but it's coming all over you, okay? It's coming. We're learning learning the transitions, like learning all the video stuff. So when we start it, it's not terrible. It's not going to be terrible. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Yeah. So everybody has that to look forward to. If you aren't subscribed to our YouTube channel, go subscribe to it. It's uh, youtube.com forward slash theories of the third kind. Go check it out. Subscribe. Do it. We'll have clips and videos and stuff up on there whenever we roll out this video stuff course we'll make an announcement on all social medias when we do so yeah all right well you got nothing else to add dan i'm empty all right well hopefully this time next week i'll be over this sickness <coughs> both of us will be hopefully yeah i got this post nasal drip and this cough that's lasting forever dude this cough is terrible yeah it is i hate this new variant variant tot3k yeah Anyways, I want to thank you all for joining us today. And again, thank you for your support. You are all amazing, every single one of you. So with that being said, Dan, you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you are not alone. not real. They are not humans. They are not... They... Uh, you are... Oh, are they are not... Uh,